Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. My name is Bryce Matthews, and this is the Deep and Lonely Podcast, presented to you by Houndsman XP. During this podcast, we will dive deep into what makes the ultimate, top-level, and unmatched extreme competition coon hunter. We will hear stories of old, tales of today, and we will dive deep into what separates the men from the boys. The stories will be raw, the truth will be told, and the camaraderie will be second to none. Pull up your chaps. It's about to get deep. Welcome back to another episode of the Deep and Lonely Podcast. Today we are sitting down here in southern Indiana. We are out here in the middle of nowhere, deep in the woods. Perfect location for an episode of Deep and Lonely Podcast. Got one of my buddies with me today. He has traveled far and wide to get here from, uh, where'd you say you're from, Wyatt? From Rock Rapids, Iowa, right up uh, as far northwest as you can get into Iowa. So what, if you go any further, where are you into? South Dakota or Minnesota, one or the other. So you are right in the tri-state area of Iowa? Yes, sir. Yep, I got a Sioux Falls phone number. That's how close I am. So. Wow. All right. <laughs> so from iowa down here to the spring super stakes princeton indiana how far of a trek is that oh google maps tell you about 11 or 12 hours but you know it'd take around 13 usually why is it taking so long why what are you doing just stopping eating letting dogs out stuff like that man i tell you what i figured you'd really be wanting to be on the ball get here quick yeah i try to sometimes but when you get to drive that long you really ain't shaving much time off and i don't <laughs> care how fast you drive <laughs> No, guys, we're glad to have Wyatt down here. Um, I met Wyatt a few months ago back at the UKC World Hunt. Uh, he and I both had a pretty good run together and met him through a mutual friend of ours, Tyler Compton. He's been fun to talk to the last few months, get to hang out and get to know. Um, actually drew Wyatt a couple nights ago out on a cast. We had a good cast. Uh, like I said, we're down here at the Spring Super Stakes 2023, Princeton, Indiana. We're both hunting in the one-year-old division. Uh, Wyatt, what are, you, what are you packing down here? Oh, I got a couple pups out of Hawk. One's my old man's. Um, he's out of smallpox and Hawk. And the other one is out of Darren DeGroat's female. Um, that's mine. I call him Diablo. He's, uh, neither one of them are really quite ready for it. We had a pretty rough winter up at my place. So that really cut down on our hunting for about three, four months. And even right before this, it was pretty rough. You know, crusty snow cutting their pads up and everything. But I'm just happy to be out here, tell you the truth. It's one of my favorite hunts, the spring super stakes. And uh, I'm just glad to be out here. I used to come out with Clyde back when I had him. And it's been a few years since I've been here. I'm just kind of happy to be back. So you talk about a rough winter. Explain to the listeners what a rough winter is up in northwest Iowa. Well, we were probably within 10 inches of a record snowfall, honestly, this year. Um, we get you know a couple feet of or we usually don't get it this bad but we got a couple feet of snow in the woods um it's drifted up you know to holler and pick up and on the gravel roads some places you know they get they got it plowed and cleared but it's it's been tough i tried hunting one night and 
the dogs would try going in the woods and they couldn't hardly move. They're lunging, trying to get out of the snow, and then they'd whirl around, hit a gravel road, try to run it. So that didn't last too long. Had to wait for some of it to melt off. So if you've got two two feet of snow in the woods, are coon moving in Iowa? Um, up at my place, a lot of them end up moving out and heading up towards, uh, you know, someone's, someone's got a feedlot with a silage pile. Um, they got to move, though, or they, they ain't going to make it. But they end up moving out to farm groves and places where they got some more food. I mean, why stay down there in the big river bottoms where everything's all froze over when you could go and have an all-you-can-eat buffet at someone's silage pile? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was wondering because, you know, down here in southern Indiana, if we get, you know, seven, eight inches of snow, it seems like the coons aren't moving for a couple of days. So I didn't know two to three feet of snow, that's got to be, you know, it's just got to be tough on it. And then for the dogs as well, you might not have a dog that's two and a half foot tall to the shoulders. Mm-hmm. The snow's taller than they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it was pretty rough. Uh, them coons, they got to move at some point, though. But, yeah, they in the big woods where you actually want to hunt, it's really not not too good. So you mentioned that you used to come back here with Clyde, and we'll, we'll get into him, and that Spring Supersticks is one of your favorite hunts. Take us back. Let's backtrack. How did you get into coon hunting and is that is it a popular thing where you're from? Um, it's not overly popular. We got a few hunters, um, but it kind of ends up ends up working out a little bit for me because I get a lot of that a lot of that ground to hunt to myself more or less. Um, our counties are pretty good about buying up public ground, so I got quite a bit of permission to hunt, quite a bit of public I can hunt on. But there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of hunters. I mean, there's some. We you know we'll have some of them ukc hunts around there we'll have a dozen dogs show up at it but people travel a little further for them too up there so So. traveling further i you know you and i've talked about this but explain to the listeners kind of maybe what a typical weekend might look like if you don't have a hunt at your club which is what 30 minutes away yeah something like that it ain't far okay so if you don't have a hunt there where are you going um there's a few local hunts around there that i do go to also um hudson south dakota being one of them but there's not very many a year there but i'll go to one i'll go to some of them closer clubs but you know a lot of times there's a hunt somewhere in the state and you know if there's a pro classic i'll try going to that or you know a lot of these big hunts really keep me pretty busy honestly running back and forth to them so when you say a local hunt though to me a local hunt is i've got four or five clubs now that i live in northern indiana i've got four or five clubs that are within a 45 minute drive mm-hmm. what is that for you well I've, i think i've got two within 45 minutes but it's uh that's not very very common i mean i used to drive you know three three four hours or so to you know central central clubs in the state um that was that was pretty well a local hunt for me too though i mean i wouldn't guide at it but i'd yeah. be pretty excited that there's one that close right and so that's <laughs> what you know you stated earlier that you know sometimes there's a hunt somewhere in the state i'm not thinking that way whenever here in indiana though there's a dozen hunts on a, on a weekend within the state but for you're like there's a hunt somewhere in the state of iowa i'm mm-hmm. going you know considering that local that's just mind-boggling to me mm-hmm. um the amount of time that you just have going to and from the hunts the gas money um you know it's it's dedication. Yeah, it, it really is. It te- you got to really want to do it. Um, and you really, I really don't blame a lot of people for not wanting to, you know, living up where we live. Um, it really takes a lot of dedication for it, though. You really got to want it. You really got to want to compete. That's for sure. Um, like for this hunt, for example, I went down to the TOC regions, and my dad ended up 
uh, driving down with the pups and he met me on um, Interstate 80 and I swapped him out. I took the pups, he took Hawk back and I just headed straight straight out here. So what, what region <laughs> did you go to for the TOCs? Uh, I went to La Plata, Missouri. Okay. And for those of our listeners who don't know, the TOC is it's short for the Tournament of Champions. It's a big hunt that the United Kennel Club puts on, pays out $50,000 first place prize. That hunt, you have to win five hunts throughout the year to get qualified for it. And then they have hunts that are in regions across the country um, where you qualify for your, they call it the zones. You qualify through that and you go on to the finals, which are going to be next weekend as we record this podcast down in Greencastle, Indiana. So La Plata, Missouri, how far was that from you? Um, around seven hours. I get down there a couple few times a year. Um, really like the hunt, and I got some good friends down there, and works out. So you took Hawk down to there. Um, I, I want to get to Hawk because you, you and Hawk have done a lot of winning over the years. Let's, let's go back to wh- where, did you, where did you get started in hunting? Did your dad, your grandpa, anybody get you into it, or how did that work? Yeah, my, uh, my dad always had dogs growing up, and... Uh, I always saw his trophies sitting around, and that's just kind of how I got into it. I really wanted to compete. Um, that's just kind of how I got into it. Um, always went with him when I was younger and everything, and started getting some dogs of my own when I was in you know, middle school, high school, and just started rolling with it. Um, didn't go to competition hunts at first, didn't think I had anything I could really hunt and compete with out there, and finally went to one and found out, well, Got just as good a chance as anybody else. That's right. When you, when you turn the dogs loose, any, any of them can win. Was Clyde mm-hmm. the first dog you had that you competed with? He was the first one I really competed hard in uh, PKC with. Um, I had some dogs before him, but I mainly just hunted some UKC with him. Um, I hunted my Annie dog was the first one that I hunted in a competition. Um, I went to Owen after that, and then I actually handled Red Bones after that for a while, believe it or not. Red Bones? Yeah. How did you get into the Red Bones? Well, um, Loris uh, Engelkin, I think is how you pronounce his last name, he had a Red Bone. And uh, I hunted a couple dogs for him, just getting him in shape and everything. And he ended up sending him up to me, and I ended up making him a night champion. Well, then the breeder had bought him back, and I just sort of went on from there. The breeder was Mike Bartell, and I just kind of went from there and started hunting, uh, titling dogs out for him. Um, I hunted that dog's dad, and I got a couple of them started for him. I ended up finishing out the the father to the dog I was hunting for Loris, and I ended up finishing out Bart also. Uh, Bart and Hayes were those, and got a couple other ones started for him. And yeah, that's just kind of how I got into it. Just kind of stumbled upon it. Did Did you enjoy the style of dogs that you were hunting up there, as far as the Red Bones versus the Walkers? Which one did you prefer in your in your country? I mean, I prefer the Walkers, but. Uh, that Hayes dog, he was actually a really nice red bone. Um, I've always told people if I had to change breeds today, I'd probably honestly go to red bones, believe it or not. Um, that dog really was really impressive. He probably one of the more accurate dogs I've ever seen. Um, independent, decent carrying mouth on him. I just liked him. Um, I would have probably honestly liked to put him in some bigger PKC hunts, you know, put him in some pro classics, but ended up just putting him in some UKC hunts, bringing him to red bone days. And, that was about it. The dog was pretty old when I had him right. at my place, but I liked him. I actually enjoyed him. So the other one I wasn't as big a fan of, but the way it goes. <laughs> so you, you had Clyde. You, you had your red bones. When, when did you decide that, okay, I'm ready to go to some big hunts, and I need a dog that's capable of winning some of these big hunts? Because for you, you know, 
you you're traveling a long ways mm -hmm. and just like everybody else when you show up to a hunt you're you're packing a dog that you feel is capable of winning but for a guy like yourself who's kind of isolated in the western part of the country when you come over here it means a little bit more to you i would assume there's a little bit more on the line yeah I'll, to an extent yeah um you know i can lose just as easy as anybody else as we've seen all week but uh I think, so I came out to Autumn Oaks my senior year high school, or it might have been right after I graduated. I came out to Autumn Oaks and I brought my old dog, Owen. And that was kind of my first big, big hunt that I sort of got out and went to. Um, and I just kind of, I thought, I thought he did all right. I ended up winning my cast, but I never got in the Grand 16 or anything. But that was kind of my first big, big hunt that I went out to. And then I just sort of went back and I kind of almost stumbled into the stumbled into the deal. Clyde was starting to really turn it on and start cranking pretty good. And uh, I saw the ad for baby steaks and I figured I'd go take Owen to a couple of PKC hunts for and give it a try for a little bit there. And uh, that's just kind of how I stumbled into it. I took Owen to a couple of, I think I took him to the Bear Creek Classic and saw what kind of caliber of dogs were out there for the most part. And then I just started sort of running it with Clyde. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. The caliber of dogs was just a little bit different that was at those hunts. And uh, I just sort of started running it. I almost stumbled into it pretty much. Uh, and then I just sort of started competing on a little higher level and just sort of progressing the more I got used to it and learned for the most part. Right. And you've done a fair fair bit of winning. Um, so <clears throat> you got the itch for the, the higher level, higher caliber competition hunts. You start running those. When did, when did Hawk come into the picture and tell us about that how did you acquire hawk where'd you where'd he come from he came from chuck cliver and uh mike gilbert and i had actually drawn mike out there at the at uh, the labor day classic when i had clyde and i think i won that cast and i had rode with mike out to the woods and we were talking about dogs and everything and i told him what my dog's out of and i come to find out that i had bought that dog's i bought clyde's mother from uh mike's neighbor and then I sort of figured out where that line of dogs came from because I really, I really didn't know too much. I knew that that cross had worked out that we had made to get Clyde um, and everything, but I really didn't know 100% where uh, it really originated from or who had different dogs. Well, then I found out quite a bit on that. And uh, so I just, this, this is sort of a backstory and more or less but yeah, go, uh, go into it i want to hear it all i, I so, love learning this stuff yeah so i ended up i just met him and just sort of that was it for quite a while and then clyde ended up going through the ice on me and i lost him uh right before the truck hunt and i had another half brother to him and he ended up dying and clyde's mother died and my old dog died and i needed a dog bad and uh i called mike and went out there and looked at a couple ended up uh just sort of getting hawk um, I hunted him out there at his senior super stakes then out there the last year it was in Sullivan and uh, that's just kind of how it went uh, sort of rolled from there you know. but Hawk wasn't the dog you were originally going to buy no he wasn't actually I was wanting to buy Josie and then I think Mike wanted to hunt him in super stakes and keep him around get a few more pups out of him so but it worked out I mean I'm, I'm glad I ended up getting Hawk and everything you know who knows what would have happened if I would have had Josie instead of Hawk you know right so when you got Hawk, I think you told me the other night we were talking, he was three years old. Mm -hmm. uh, how, old how old is he now? He's six. He'll be seven in July. So you've had him almost almost four years. And tell us about some of the accomplishments that you've, you've achieved with Hawk. What have, you, what have you won? Oh, 
I think he's got close to 40,001 on him now in PKC. He had, I think, 1,500 when I got him. He had been in the Final Four baby stakes and doubled up his sophomore year when I bought him. And uh, I got a couple cast wins out there at Super Stakes. Um, after I got him shortly, well, I never doubled up his senior year. The dog kind of had to get used to me. But after he got used to me, I ended up taking him to some Pro Classics. Um, just started rolling with him, and then I started to get this idea that I wanted to get a, make him a gold champion before nationals because I'd never hunted nationals. I'd always wanted to, though. So we got in, at that, uh, in the top 12 of the first shootout-style pro classic they did down there in Texas, that one that Jed Finley put on. And uh, that finished him to gold champion. That was probably one of the hunts I was most excited about. As I'd said on that podcast I did with Josh that I put that entry on a credit card hoping that he'd just win. I was going to bring that <laughs> up because I want to know, we're going to go down a rabbit hole here. I want to know what was going through your head when you're like, all right, here we go. What is it? 2,500? Yeah. 2,500. Yeah, $2,500 entry fee. At that time, you, I mean, you're only 23 now. Yeah. You couldn't have been very old. I think I was 21 at that time. And is that a product of, uh, you know quote unquote young and dumb i'm gonna yeah. put an entry fee on a credit card yeah it was it was dumb i uh i just I, I wanted it bad was the issue i really wanted to hunt nationals bad and i figured that was about my last shot to do it <laughs> so yeah i ended up doing it i figured there's three nights hopefully worst case scenario i'll at least get 1250 pay half of it <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you do it that hunt um we lost the first two nights and i treated one coon in the early round on the last night to get in and that was enough that was the only coon we saw and in the late round i treated the only coon we saw there and old michaela circled it and uh are you, are you still bitter about that no i just like giving him a hard time <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a sweatshirt after that cast was over so it all worked out ironed out ended up winning the cast too so i got pretty lucky with that one but yeah, that was just a young and dumb type deal. Uh, but it paid off. It did. It worked out. Paid off. I ended up. I won one cast at nationals, and that was it. I didn't have any luck. That's a tough hunt, tough competition, though. It is. So running to all these hunts, you know, you've got the PKC World, you've got PKC Nationals, you've got Spring Super Stakes, Fall Super Stakes. You go to UKC, you got the World, you got Tournament of Champions. Out of all those hunts, which one do you like going to the best? Ooh, that's a tough one. I go to a lot of them every year. Um, I'm trying to think which one's my favorite. I never do. I never do too well at the PKC World. It seems like, but that's always a fun one to go to. It seems like. Um, but I really like that uh, that Shootout Pro Classic they do in La Plata too in December. That's another one of the deals that Hawk seems to usually do pretty well in. Uh, we got in the final three this year at it, and the year prior we won every single early round, lost every single late round. So I really like that pro classic too. But I like some of them smaller open events too. Like I like going down to the Lone Star. And and that's in everything. Texas? That's in Texas. How far is that for you? Oh, man, I'd have to look it up. But it's a long ways. It's probably, probably 15 hours or close to it or more. I want to know how you find the time to go to all these hunts. Can you teach me your ways? Oh, well, my boss is my uncle, so he sort of <laughs> knows that I've been going to these hunts for a while. Gotcha. That's about how. That's about the secret to it. But now I like going to the Bear Creek Classic too. You know, I, li I like some of them smaller hunts also, just for the camaraderie and get to see buddies. You don't take it as serious; just have a good time at it, more or less. But 
No, I'll go into all of them. Uh, I mean, it irritates my uncle a little bit, but that's uh, that's how I do it. I think. I mean, you got to have a understanding boss for sure. Absolutely. Um, I got pretty. I'm pretty fortunate too with having my uh, my grandpa, my mom, and everybody to help take care of dogs and everything else. So. It take it takes a team mm-hmm. for somebody to run this stuff. It does, because you know I I can't take all of them with me. I need someone to watch over stuff while I'm gone too. So, but you know you you've really made a good run at it. You said you got hockey had about fifteen hundred on him, one, mm-hmm. and now you're at forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars in just under four years. Yep, I'm pretty fortunate. He's, That's solid. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been good to me. I mean, he's been real good to me, and he's. I put him in a little bit of UKC too. Um, after I made him gold champion, some people were interested in breeding. Well, then I had to send in his UKC papers, make him a night champion quick. Everyone wanted UKC title on him. Right. So then after that, I, I really liked what they did with the TOC and the World Hunt. So I started uh, trying to get to them every year. So he was in the top 96 last year of the TOC, and we placed fourth in UKC World also last one, year. One spot in front of me. One spot in front of you. You drew the lucky card that I didn't draw. I appreciate you doing that for me. Yeah, no problem. I remember sitting right next to you when we drew those cards out. Yep. Man. Almost felt kind of bad celebrating, but I was excited. No, I was happy <laughs> for you, buddy. Let's go Let's go through that that cast. Um, you know, you got fourth in the world. You drew out with one of your good buddies, Tyler Compton. Mm-hmm. You drew out with Jacob Roller. Jeremiah Roller. Or Jeremiah Roller. Sorry. Yes, Sorry, sir. Jeremiah. Jeremiah Roller. And then you drew out with Kurt Aaron. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go through that. What happened? Well, we cut loose, and we cut loose down this path, and they just, mine and Jeremiah shot off the end of the path. Uh, Whitey and Jenna got treed on the running down it, not too far from us, and uh, ours just kind of shot off the end. Well, Sleepy whirled around and came back towards the timber. Well, Hawk just kept going. Um, just didn't have any luck. He was over four miles away when I went and got him. He had a coon, but... There was no way I was hearing him. I was I was plumb out of it. Uh, Jenna just looked phenomenal. I mean, she she deserved all of it on that one. She looked real good. She hooked a ride on that levee that we were hunting on, and uh, nobody else got in there, and that's where all the good hunting was, which I think the way she was operating, I don't think anybody was beating her even if they did get in there. Right, and, and you and Tyler have been buddies for a long time, so how was that to, you know, obviously you both want to win, but you've got two guys, best friends, in the final four of one of the most prestigious hunts, I think you could call it. Oh, absolutely. Um, how, how is that feeling? Like, what what are your emotions going into it? Just, ex- I was just plum excited. I mean, I had I had never made it through zones, and the first year that I do, I end up you know making it that far. I was just I was so excited and everything with all the you know lights and interviews and the whole setup they had there, and then being with you know I've known Roller and uh, Kurt pretty well for quite a while too. And uh, I think my nerves were the calmest out of all the casts in that final four, just because I was so, you know, so used to everybody. We hunted with each other's dogs and just knew everybody. I mean, probably, I mean, still excited and you know nervous, but not near as much as like in the top 23 or even my first round cast out there. I said, like, do you ever get worked up though? I've never seen you in. Now we haven't known each other a long time, but I've never seen you worked up. You're always easy going. You're laid back. You're cutting up. You're goofing off. Do you ever get worked up? Oh yeah, yeah. I get uh, I get terrible nervous about some of these casts, um, like that. Uh, I'm trying to think of one of them. I was about ready to puke in the top 23 when my dog came and rolled up treed about 300 yards from us. They put a stationary on me with 13 minutes left. I mean, I I get, I get terrible worked up over them, and uh, it ended up working out for me. You know, he had another coon there, but 
another one of them I, I was really nervous in was uh, La Plata, Missouri just this year at the, um, the, what do they call it, Bear Creek Shootout. I was in the, I made it through. My dog looked pretty good both rounds. I treated three singles early and three singles late, um, doubled up the first night and made it to the top 12. Well, then in that cast, I drew some tough ones. I drew, uh, drew Brandon Kosselman with Wow. I drew Nathan Guthrie with Spice, and then uh, Travis Tate was hunting Buck Creek Showtime style. So, you know, we had a stat cast. Absolutely. I was, I was pretty nervous about it, and my dog treated Coon for 200 right out of the truck behind everybody, and that helped calm the nerves a little bit. And then he picked apart a real bad track and treated another Coon, but Spice has treated Coon in the meantime too. And I was so worried about keeping that strike at a quarter, I let, uh, I let two guys withdraw. And uh, then I realized what I'd done to myself right after I did that, I got myself leash locked to put myself in a position to lose that I never should have been in. And uh, that's, that's one, I was so worried about hearing this dog to keep the strike at a quarter that I failed to even think about that I'm getting leash locked if I, you know, if this happens. And that's when my nerves were really getting me bad. And uh, it ended up working out. We ended up, I think we struck on some junk and the six caught us both after we went and recut because uh, Nathan leash locked me with Spice Girl. We go in there, she's got another coon. So now she's only behind me a quarter and she gets struck for a hundred. I get struck for 75. And uh, I think we were bumping some junk, and the six caught us, and we never heard them again, luckily. For, for me, luckily, I should say. But uh, that's one where my nerves were really getting me. I was real mad at myself putting myself in a situation like that. And if I had been calmed down, thinking a little bit more straight, I don't think I would have put myself in that situation. But and, and that's part of these bigger hunts, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I put myself in a similar situation last weekend at the Tournament of Champion Regions. When there's all this going on in these hunts, there is a ton to keep track of. You're trying to keep scores straight in your head for each dog. You're trying to run through scenarios. If this happens, then this happens. And mm-hmm. you've got multiple scenarios going on. You're trying to watch the time clock. Mm-hmm. You know, how much time's left in the hunt? How have the dogs been operating? Do I have enough time to make a call? Mm-hmm. If I make that call, what about the time that starts after that? What's going to happen? There's a ton going on. And I know exactly what you mean when you say you get nervous. I'm the same way. Um, you know, last weekend in the Tournament of Champions, we're leading the cast at 625. Mm-hmm. And we're up in LaGrange, Indiana. Um, you know, very thankful hunting the dog for Dick Brothers we did our first podcast with. And leading 625, we didn't win Friday night. So Saturday night, I knew I had to have a high score going into there. And I told myself all weekend I thought 600 was going to get us in. Yep. I come down to the last minute and I'm at 625 and I got nervous. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's going to get me in or not. Mm-hmm. You know, timer, timer rolls up treed. There's five minutes left in the ha- in the hunt. Yep. So I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And I sat on my hands and I sat on my hands wondering what I'm going to do. And I treat him. Yep. I treat him. You know, I'm trying to get those extra points to get that single high score. Um, they treat coons and dens all night long. Go in there, start walking to him. He's treated good, kind of shuts up a little bit, get in there, and they're in a swamp. Well, we get in there, and he comes off the tree. Oh. And I take a hundred and a quarter minus. Mm-hmm. Ended up losing the cast and ended up keeping us out of the, you know, the finals this year. And so, I beat myself up on that yep. for a few days. You know, I felt like I let, I felt like I let Dick down. 
I felt like I let timer down. And I just feel like I really made a bad call. But the nerves got me. Like, and I'm, I'm one to be open about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all decisions in all these hunts, and uh, you just hope you make the right ones. I mean, there's, there is a lot going through your head, though, in these hunts. I mean, you got to keep track of your score, everybody else's score. I always try to be watching everybody's times um, on trees and everything, you know, just in case. Um, I try to just keep track of all of it, run it through my head. I try to play out all the different scenarios. I mean, my brain's going a million miles an hour in a cast. Um, trying to run through different scenarios where I could put myself in a position to win and, you know, different hypotheticals. Oh, well, what if this dog has this, that, or the other thing? But there's a lot of times, too, you know, in these higher-level hunts where I'm running scenarios through my head and there's pending trees in there. I just plan on all them dogs having a coon getting plussed. And that's how my, you know, that's how my scenarios are going through my head in a lot of these things and uh i don't know it's it's a lot it's a lot to uh keep track of and a lot to be thinking of and i mean in your situation if the dog rolls up treed there i mean you've about got to tree him because you know i mean it takes a big score sometimes you never know how many people are going to double up in a situation like that you right. know you might have you might you might have 15 people double up and they only take three four high scores right so i mean speaking of that you know and that's one thing that that UKC does, I'd say, a fair share of is they they have hunts that are based upon double cast wins and high scores. Do you like that format, or do you just want to win your cast and move on? I like the uh, single elimination style, just win your cast and move on, um, personally. Um, I think that that's about what they have to do, though. I mean, that's a pretty good setup, how they have it set up with zones, because, I mean, if you win your cast Friday, win your cast Saturday, doesn't matter if you have a small score you're through. I mean, I don't think I've heard of hardly any hunts where they're getting, uh, they're not taking some double cast winners. So I think that's about what they have to do. I mean, it's about as good as they can handle it. Um, I'm typically not hunting a dog that's going to rack up too high of a score. Um, I usually, usually hunt something that's just sort of has a coon and everything, trees a couple coons, stays out of trouble is what I like to usually pack around. So, you know, I typically don't have one that racks up a big score, but it's one of them things that you just gotta just gotta deal with i guess right you, get, I mean, you, you know that's the format going into it oh yeah absolutely everybody's on the same playing field they've got equal cards going into the going into it so For you sure. just you know that that's what you have to do mm-hmm. uh, the zones this year for the uh ukc world there were several guys who said the same thing they're like you know we i was just talking to them we went over to missouri as well and they said you know they prefer the single cast or single elimination style rounds because they're not packing a, a high scoring dog. And I feel like some of these high scores, it takes breaks within the, oh, any of this stuff in these higher end competitions. It takes breaks. I caught a really good one uh, at the regions, just at the TOC regions. I caught a really good break out there. Um, a couple guys made a couple bad trees and just left early on. And we were down to a two dog cast. And I ended up, I treed through the country and another guy treed close. Well, under that timeout rule, between scoring trees, if someone's not recasting, that was a break that I that I caught in that one. So we called timeout between those trees and gathered dogs up and moved spots. And uh, I treated another coon there, and then the other fella, unfortunately, had rolled his ankle, but he had taken a little minus also, and he withdrew. So then I had 39 minutes to hunt alone, where I'm typically not a high-scoring dog. I have 39 minutes where I can, you know, drop hunt with a non-hunting judge and uh just sort of got lucky and treat a couple coons i mean there's a lot of coons in la plata especially right. if you're just going dropping down a finger i mean it works out pretty good 
So, you know, that was a huge break for me because I, re- I would have never, we would have never had anybody in that cast get through if it wasn't for, you know, a couple guys withdrawing, being able to gather dogs up and everything else too. So Let, let's talk about UKC for a minute. How do you feel about, so obviously you and I found ourselves in a very unique situation at the world this last year mm-hmm. where they set us all down and due to a dead cast, they didn't have enough to have three heads up casts. There was five dogs left in it. Mm-hmm. They set us all down. We had to draw cards to see who had to go out and hunt late. Yep. I drew the short stick and hunted, against, and hunted against Kurt Aaron. And his dog looked the best the late round. Mm-hmm. He deserved to move on. After that, UKC has now come out with a new rule for these big hunts, going to a single elimination style event where you don't have to have plus points to move on. Yep. It's something new for UKC. It is. I think they might have done that at the TOC finals last year, but I think they're going to... Are they going to start doing it at the World Hunt? Yes, I believe. If I, if I understand it correctly, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think you are right. They did do it at the TOC last year. Um, but I think it's for all major events now, if I understood it correctly. Yeah, that would, uh, that would make sense, you know, when you, get to that, when you get to that level. Because I think a lot of the time you're not going to have a dead cast typically. I think Dyersburg this year was kind of an exception with the extremely dry and tough conditions. I mean, a lot of those places down south, I know that I wasn't there, but I know they had a pretty tough time treeing coons down in Georgia, too, in 2017. So, I mean, I, I think that it's a pretty good move, to tell you the truth, um, especially for, like, the, uh, the TOC and stuff. But I think for the world hunt, that's almost necessary, too, because, you know, I mean, it messes up the structure, and they have to change formats and everything based on dead casts. Right. Um, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good deal, and I don't think you'll run into it too often where you're having dogs that are winning with minus or circle. I mean, you might run into a situation, too, where someone's, you know, treat a circle tree, other dogs taking minus, and there's rolls up with a coon, and they just don't have to tree and put themselves at risk. Right. You know, they, you might run into stuff like that, too. Yeah, because, you know, UKC for years, they've, they've always held held true to the you have to have plus points to win your cast. Yep. So I was just curious what you thought on that. Like, is it... Is it going against their traditional way of thinking? Is it better? Is it a better move for them? Um, I'm just curious how you thought about that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a better move for them, honestly. Because yeah, I mean that was that was a I don't know. It wasn't. I think they handled it as good as they could have. That's how they had to handle that situation. Right. But they wouldn't have been in that situation where they've had they would have had to do that if it was you know if the, everyone just advances you know if the uh, you know if there's a cast winner in every cast. So right, I think that's a pretty good move, really. But, so. I was talking to a guy on last night's last night's cast. We had a we had a great cast early round last night. Um, you know, it's very enjoyable when you get four guys that get along well. And I've had a good cast all three nights this week. Have, have you found the same? Oh yeah. Thing. Yep, we've been having good casts and everything. Um, dog work subpar in a couple of them, but yeah, we've been having real good casts. Um, typically, you get out here some of these higher levels, and everyone knows the rules real good, and we just everyone gets along. Right, so. and, and I feel like some guys who might be new to the sport looking to get into competition, they might hear that, you know, the old old saying that, you know, these competitions are rough and you're, people are out to get you and it's not fair, which I've seen it a couple times. But for the majority, that's not what I see. No, that's, uh, you know, especially these higher these higher level hunts. I mean, you're going to run into more problems probably at your little local club if, and than you will at some of these bigger events. I mean, people know the rules. they got a pretty good dog, and that makes it a lot easier when you get to – these higher levels for sure 
but yeah i don't run into very much of it at all you know people some people demonize it for sure but these competition hunts you know the rules you got a decent dog and you go in there with the mentality you're going to have a good cast you will right so like i said i was talking to this guy last night and we were just you know sitting around chewing the fat dogs were dogs were trailing they weren't what no much going on we actually didn't even tree a coon for the first hour it's a 90 minute hunt actually i lied bear treed one at like 55 minutes and then after that we got leash locked um but for the first 55 minutes nothing was going on so we were all just sitting around good old boys talking and one guy brought up you know that he tends to be a very defensive handler in hunts how would how would you describe yourself it made me start thinking you know and i think i would probably consider myself more of an offensive handler oh that sounds like sports terms defensive is in sort of just holding on to your points more or less or yeah, offensive on. more as like just going and going for it yeah you know like i consider myself an offensive handler just like perfect example the toc regions last weekend yep that dog rolled up treat if i'd have been playing defense for this example i'd have sat on my hands and yep. i wouldn't have treated him knowing that you know i'm winning the cast 625 but my mind the way that i typically work i'm i'm going for gold the dog rolled up treed i want more points i want to lock myself in yep i bet on the dog in that situation yep and it got me yep um you'll have that once in a while it just uh it all depends on the dog honestly um with hawk he's usually with hawk i usually play more probably offense honestly He's a little bit more accurate, but you know, if I had this pup in here and he comes treed towards the end, um, I'm probably not gonna tree him just for the sake of it being a pup. I'm not sure what he's gonna do. He's probably not quite as accurate as Hawk. Um, just for that, you know, it all depends on the dog, honestly. I mean, I like to try to make a big call out of the truck right away. You know, sometimes stick your neck out a little bit, you know, striking in the minute or something, or treeing the dog on his first locate when there's a couple other dogs blowing up in there with him. I like to try to go for a, something to put me in the lead right out of the truck, and then I try to sort of hold on and just play it from there, more or less. But it all depends on what I'm hunting, too. Um, different style dog, you just sort of handle it a little different. I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta kind of know the dog and just know the situation, know where you're at. It depends on what kind of event it is, too. You know, if it's, a, if it's an event like, a, like the Bear Creek or the Lone Star, we need a big score to get in, I'm absolutely gonna treat that dog at the end if I don't need it, even. But if it's something where you're just advancing with a cast win, then I'm probably not going to treat the dog. Right. I mean, do, you, do you think you play differently depending on different registries? Right now, I'd say the three main players are United Kennel Club, Professional Kennel Club, and Pro Sport. Do you play differently depending on where you're at and who you're hunting for? Um, a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really not a huge difference. But, I mean, yeah, I, I do play it a little bit or a little bit different for sure. I mean... If I'm at like the local UKC hunt and you know we're cracking up, having a good time, I'm probably just gonna you know keep treeing the dog just for the heck of it. So, but if it's a you know bigger hunt where I got a little bit more money on the line, then probably gonna handle it a little bit different. Right. Let's let's get into um, something else that you're dabbling in now, which is tier one custom calls. Yep. All right, I've got you on here, and I, I I meant to ask you this the other night when we were sitting on the tailgate just talking after the cast, and I didn't. So I'm going to ask you now that I got you. What separates – now, I'm not even going to say Tier 1. What separates calls from each other? Because you have JC calls. You've got Bushwhacker calls, Tier 1, Randy Gad. You've got a, a few guys who are, you know, I would say the key players. And then you have guys making them for themselves. Yep. What is the difference in all of these calls? What sets them apart? 
Oh, I don't want to speak too much on the other people's calls, uh, honestly, because I don't really have a whole lot of experience with uh, a lot of them. But typically, it's the same uh, the same typical JC read, the read pack that you get from. I I think all of them are about the same. Okay. Um, what separates the the Phoenix apart is which is the, which is a tier one call. That's a tier one, yes, sir. Um, that's one that that's uh, we have the patent for that read design, and it's more set up like a duck call almost. Okay. Which they they almost blow out a little bit easier, but they produce a pitch that none of them other uh, reads will produce because most of the other calls they sound pretty similar. I mean, different. Uh, you know the way they spin them down and everything. I mean, they'll sound a little different, but they're all got they all got a similar pitch. It seems like. I mean, you can add a different pitch by putting an extra read in there. You know, I've seen some with three reads, some with one, some with two. But that's what sets a tier one apart is the Phoenix read system and everything. Um, I can't speak too much on the other companies because I don't have a whole lot of experience. Um, I've been a huge fan of the Phoenix ever since Josh Michaelis started it back in the day when it was Big Show Game Calls. So. That's one thing about it that just sets us apart a little bit. Yeah, I was just curious how that worked. I didn't know if, like, uh, I wouldn't assume that the overall shape and structure would make a huge difference. Um, I would assume maybe, like, the bore that's in the middle where the reed pack goes would make a bigger difference. Yep. Um, maybe the overall length on them. Yep, I, sure I just did. didn't know, you know. When, when a guy's designing a call, what is he taking into consideration to produce the best call on the market? Yeah, um, just durability and... Producing a good sound is pretty much what what I like to uh, think of it as for the most part. I mean, there's plenty of good, you know, call manufacturers and good guys making them too. So I don't want to knock anybody's calls by any means. But oh, absolutely. And I've got I one of each of them that I just mentioned. Yep, for sure. Know? And I carry, depending on different times of the year, I carry different calls. Mm-hmm. I've usually a look t- at different pitches different times of the year for yeah. sure. I've usually got two in my vest um, most times. If they're not looking at one, I'll pull out another one. Yep. So like I said, I, I am not partial to anybody's calls, but I was just genuinely curious on the makeup and structure of what makes calls different from each other. Yeah, a lot of times it's just the, the shape or the material they're out of. Um, the reeds are similar on a lot of them, I think, for the most part. But the Phoenix is, is a different one for sure. That's a, that's a different one that has louder, higher pitch, and, or more. I don't even know what to how to word it, honestly. Uh, just a pitch I've had better luck with on getting coons to look more so in summertime and then winter looking out of dens. Yeah, and it is different. And, you know, honestly, the reason – the thing that caught my attention was at uh, – I believe it was Autumn Oaks this year, I drew out with Tyler. Yep. Um, he was hunting Shaq. And Shaq got treed, and we went into the tree. And I was squalling around. You know, it was a den tree trying to get his coon to look. And all of a sudden I heard this call, and I was like, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know who it was. I didn't know who was blowing it. And I turned around and it was Tyler. I said, Tyler, what are you using? He said, well, it's the new Phoenix that we were doing. Or he said, it's the Phoenix that, you know, because at that time he was pretty new into buying tier one. Yep. Um, he said, it's the Phoenix. I was like, wow, like that sounded different. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I went, of course, I'm a sucker for everything. So I went and bought me a new Phoenix the next day. Yep. We got uh, you hooked. <laughs> yeah, you did. You know, it's, it's a good call. Um, so like I said, I was just curious on that one. Yep. Go. Let's just let's just go in and talk dogs this week. We're like I said, we're still we're down here at Super Stakes. Have you seen anything in the cast that you've drawn that has just really stood out? Uh, I drew a couple pretty nice ones last night. Um, I can't remember the dog's name. Uh, Millie, I think her name was, or Miley. She looked really nice. Uh, 
She uh, treated a couple coons and struck struck really good, carried her strike, um, looked real good, had a good mouth. That was a pretty pretty impressive one. I didn't see if she got through or not. She won our cast last night pretty big, but uh, I didn't even pay attention if she got through or not. But uh, that's one that I saw that I, I like quite a bit. Otherwise, no, nah, we... We didn't really have a lot going on. There wasn't anything stood out too much in it's, the it's, other It's cast. been slow for me this week as well. And looking at the scores, it's been slow across the board. I haven't seen anything that's just really stood out. Um, it looks like there have been some that have been getting in some coon training contests, more so in the seniors. But, uh, yeah, these, these sophomores, they want to be puppies still, the ones I've been drawing. Yeah, and, you know, I failed, <laughs> Mine to, included. I failed to talk about that earlier. We, we keep saying we're at the spring super stakes for our listeners who don't know. Um, the super stakes, it happens twice a year. There's a spring version and a fall version. And it all depends on the birth date of your dog when it was born as to which, um, which time of the year that you hunt. But it's almost like a futurity event. Uh, your one-year-olds hunt against one-year-olds, which are called the sophomores. Two-year-olds um, are the juniors, and the three-year-olds are your seniors. And the super stakes, I feel like, is a, it's a time where guys are really looking to see it's a good chance to see your competition for your age, to compare your dog against other dogs your age. Because I don't know how it is over where you're at, but if I go to a local hunt here and I'm taking a pup, I could draw out the state leader. Yep. You know, I, I could draw, and we're right here close to Illinois. I can draw out the Indiana state leader. I can draw out the Illinois state leader. And then I can draw out a platinum champion, which is $20,000. Oh, absolutely. So the, I feel like this is, it's, and it's hard to get a fair judge on what your dog is. But I feel like this, these super stakes events are just a great way for guys to, to compare themselves to what else is out there in the country. Yep, yeah, absolutely it is. And then you can, uh, it's a good chance to showcase, you know, different stud dogs and everything too, you know, for, you know, just, I don't know. It's a, it's a good event for you know, measuring up, seeing what your dog's doing. It's a good event for showcasing if you got a stud dog. Um, it's just a, a great event. But up by me, I think when I was trying to get Clyde, his hundred one, for super stakes, I was going down to Grand Junction, and I was drawing traders digging up bones, and he was the senior super stakes champion the year before. I mean, I kept drawing him over and over, and I kept drawing a lot of other good ones. Um, and most of those dogs I was drawing were platinum champions now and, and everything. And... Uh, I was just having a heck of a time, but I mean, it's kind of tough comparing a one-year-old to a, a four-year-old that's got thirty-some thousand dollars won on it. It is, you know, it is. <laughs> um, but it, at the same time, that it, everybody, I feel like it's the same way across the country. Like getting the dogs hundred dollars one, which is what it takes to qualify for the Super Stakes event. You have to win a hundred dollars that year. I feel like it's hard to get that hundred one sometimes. Like that might be one of the most challenging things to do because you don't know who you're going to draw out against. Oh, absolutely. Um, I could not get Clyde his hundred one back when I was trying to get it one for Super Stakes. I mean, he'd do real good and everything at you know various events. You know, UKC hunts right close there. I'd take him to a PKC hunt and he'd just fall apart on me or something. I mean, I just I was having a heck of a time getting his hundred one. With Diablo, I got really lucky though. You know, I don't think he was close to the dog that uh, that Clyde was, and. I put him in his first cast, and he got off there and treated a coon by himself, which I didn't even think the dog was ready. I just didn't want to hunt hawk in it in this particular hunt. And, uh, yeah, Diablo just went in and treed one coon. The other dogs got hung up on a slick, I think, and I just, just sort of got it pretty easy, to tell you the truth. Um, so I got pretty fortunate in that sense with him. But, yeah, when I had Clyde, you know, which I felt was a way better dog, I couldn't get his hunted once. I mean, just, it all depends. you got to catch breaks even in them little hunts too. Right. <laughs> Uh, something else that stood out to me the other day we were sitting on the tailgate just talking. Tell me about the time you ran for a truck ticket. 
and and what extent you went to to get that truck ticket and, and maybe for the listeners go into what a truck ticket is how do you obtain one and what all goes into that so a truck ticket is for uh in pkc is for dogs so they have one for uh the old dogs and they have one for super stakes pups and they have them in divisions of you know thirty dollar tickets and overall tickets so you can get a thirty dollar ticket at um, open events that are $30 or less, and you have to be one of the top two two or three dogs in the country to get the ticket. And that's per for month? That, for that month, yes. You have to be way up there, and uh, it takes quite a bit of money because, you know, there's some guys that are, you know, they get in a couple times at a big open event and double up and just kind of keep going. Or uh, they get in at a big open event and then, you know, might double up at a legacy or something, and they just get rolling with it. So, you know, it gets kind of tough sometimes. Uh you know competing against dogs that are right close to a big event and everything but it's uh when i ran for that truck ticket i was actually kind of going for an overall ticket i was making a last push at the state race too i think that's back when i was 19 or 20 years old that's when i still had glide and uh i was going five six hours on a weeknight going down to central iowa for a 30 dollar hunt i mean i was I was pushing for it. Well, then I got right down to the wire, and I was thinking I might have a pretty good shot at it. Well, I drove over eight. I think I drove eight hours to Wisconsin for a thirty-dollar doubleheader, and that was the closest one that was that I actually could go to that weekend. And uh, we actually we ended up getting a thirty-dollar ticket that month when I was actually kind of going for an overall ticket, but ended up uh, ended up working out and getting it. But never ended up being able to make it. I had to call Jerry and tell him to go to the next dog in line after I lost Clyde. But the way it goes. So you put in you put in all that effort, all that time, driving five, six hours on a weeknight, mm-hmm. trying to win your money. You drive eight hours on a weekend to a $30 hunt. I can't fathom that. Eight hours. I can't fathom it anymore. I was dumb back then. <laughs> eight hours. And then you lose Clyde. Mm-hmm. Walk us through that. What happened? I was actually in a cast, and uh, I'd treat a coon right out of the truck. I ended up winning the cast, and I uh, went to go get him afterwards, and I'd lost reception on him. And I thought, well, the collar might have been acting up. It could have been interfering with someone else's, and uh, I just lost him at a hole in the ice. Never did find him. We could get a weak signal right there, but he was probably hung up on a log jam underneath the ice somewhere, which that's something that we have to worry about up there that most people in the country don't have to worry about. Our rivers freeze really hard, and I mean, freeze hard enough to drive snowmobiles and four-wheelers down them and, you know, walk across them. We have been crossing that river on the ice all night. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those one of those deals. It's one of the dangers we got to worry about. You know, we're pretty fortunate not having to deal with snakes or too many major highways, but, you know, that, that ice is a killer. I mean, there's plenty of other guys around there that have lost dogs to it too. And it's just, just one of the deals. When you snap them dogs loose, you never know if you're going to see them again. Dogs trained to run straight away from you. I mean, right. You just got to hope they're all right. What what kind of mental state did that put you in? Really bummed me out. I was pretty depressed for quite a while over that. Um, I really didn't have anything else good going. Owen was getting pretty old. Um, I didn't hunt for a couple months and whatnot after that, but I did end up getting back into it and ended up uh, getting my junior dog going pretty good put some more time in him which is probably pretty you know pretty lucky for him i mean it was unfortunate because he passed away too but it was probably lucky for him honestly that uh you know clyde passed away to get him some time that he deserved honestly but he ended up getting blasto and passing away also and you've had a rough go at it 
Yeah, I did, but they're just, you know, just dogs. You gotta, you gotta keep going with it and gotta keep trying to get the next big one, I guess, or next big winner. Yeah. So if you could choose today one registry that you had to hunt the rest of the time, what would it be? PKC. PKC. All day. And what about that? Why? Oh, I just, uh, I feel like it's a little bit higher caliber dog um, that you'll draw. You know, you'll, you'll draw some good ones in um, UKC too, but I just, I like how there's a level for everyone in PKC. You know, you can spend 35 bucks during the week or you can go spend 6,500 on a weekend and, and hunt. You compete at whatever level you want. And that's, uh, that's one thing that I really like about it and everything. Uh, there's just so many good events. Um, I'm probably most familiar with that rule system too. Um, it's just what I enjoy going to the most. I mean, I, I go to some UKC hunts a year for sure, or every year for sure. I mean, I compete right around the house and go to World and TOC, but I just, most of my hunting's made up out of PKC. I like pro sport too and what they're doing. I've only been able to hunt one or two of them though, since, uh, we don't have a lot real close. Um, I might try to get an entry to that truck hunt down in Mercer, but we'll just have to see on that. They've uh they've got a hunt down here in Henderson Saturday if you uh, don't double up this week. I don't got a good enough dog to go down to one if I had Hawk maybe, but <laughs> not these one year olds. <laughs> I was gonna say it's only an hour down the road. Yeah, probably not with these one year olds. They're not that good. <laughs> yeah, but no, I like what they're doing for sure. They got a really good thing going there. Um, but no, I just like the I like PKC and how they got a level for everybody. So that's that's why I choose that. You know, nothing against the other registries or anybody that hunts them or prefers them, but. That's just what most of my hunting's made up out of, and I just like all the different events and programs they got going on there, especially, you know, different youth programs, everything else, so. Yeah, so speak, speaking of the youth, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're 23, you've been doing this for a while, um, since a younger guy. What, what advice would you give to somebody coming up into the, into the sport of, and wanting to start competing? Is there one thing that you would tell them to do or to not do? Um, i tell them just to, just to really learn your dog, and, uh, you know, try to learn the rules also, but you're going to have to go in there and, you know, kind of figure it out. You can read a rule, but you you can read a rule and go through it in your head as much as you want, but you're really not going to know how to apply it until you actually get out there and see the situation where you can apply it. So, you know, know the rules a little bit, but just know that dog and, you know, just go in there with a good attitude. You know, it's a good time. You know, you get to all these hunts. Most of the time, these guys are going to help you out and everything, especially if you're a younger hunter. Um that's about all I've, I've got on that, I guess. Would I mean, you advise them to put an entry fee on a credit card? No, I probably wouldn't. And if your dog's good enough, give it a try, but I probably wouldn't advise it, no. I'd try to, <laughs> I'd try to tell you to uh, just sort of hunt what you can afford. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the first time I heard that, I just laughed so hard. I was like, that, that's crazy. That's why. I mean, from the little bit I know, I was like, I could see him doing that. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's right. Just not a... Uh, not that bright, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad it worked out for you, man. Man, I, I, I really appreciate you sitting down here. Um, you know, it, it's been a fun week. You know, I'm glad we got to draw each other Tuesday night. Uh, you got to come out here to out here to the cabin and just sit down for a while and just chit-chat, talk dogs while we kill time. That's what a lot of this stuff is at these bigger hunts. There's a lot of killing time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you got to kill a lot of time. And uh, we actually went and on that, you know, there's been some rainy days. We went and bought a PlayStation at Walmart. We're going to return it before we leave. But... <laughs> <laughs> went and got one at Walmart, so he had something to do in the room. 
<laughs> oh jeez. No, that's what these events are all about, just having a good time and everything, cracking up. Even if I don't win a cast, I'm glad I come out here. This is one of my favorite hunts. So Yeah, man, it, it's a blast. And like I said, I enjoy the camaraderie, talking to everybody, just getting to see people you don't get to see all oh, the absolutely. time. And it, these big hunts, they bring, bring people from all across the country. Mm-hmm. You get to hang out and talk to your buddies and it's really it's really a good good event for camaraderie and yeah this is a you know a lot of these big hunts you know that's the only time i see a lot of you know good friends of mine that live you know 15 to 16 hours away you know it's the only time i see a lot of them so i really like going to it and just getting to see everybody and lie to each other about how good our coon dogs are you know it's just a good time it's what these events are all about <laughs> are, do you think coon hunters tell stories about like fishermen which one do you think tells the best stories oh man probably coon hunters and coon hunters are so full of it it's almost unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) oh shoot all right buddy well hey like i said i appreciate you sitting down here talking to me it's been fun i appreciate Uh, you having me yeah absolutely man we've got one more night we got one more night to make it into the big dance can you do it oh i don't know i need some luck and some breaks on my side i'm hoping so but we'll just have to see hopefully we just stay away from each other and just see each other in the finals on saturday that's right i ain't holding my breath that's right (laughs) all right buddy well like i said appreciate you and uh, good luck tonight buddy good luck to you too all right thanks Thanks. buddy